This episode of Talking Smith About Film is brought to you by Earl Grey Tea. Yes, it might be the greatest tea in the world, and sure, this is a placeholder for a sponsor I didn't, but I had to mention it anyway. Just play the opening jingle. So you're saying that a 26% rated film on Rotten Tomatoes is worth a watch? Well, with regards to Rotten Tomatoes, who really gives a shit? Well, hello and welcome to the Talking Smith About Film podcast, a podcast about film where controversy really does create cash. My name is Jack Smith. It's an absolute delight to have your company for another week of podcast-based audio film goodness from the great men and women of LeeJackSmith.com. It's been an interesting week, hasn't it? We've had so much correspondence about that Men in Black review. Uh, and to that we say, sure, it's 26% Rotten Tomatoes, but we are going to dress the rating very shortly, whether it was the right right call or not. Uh, it's been a relatively chilled week. We're in the midst of getting ready to sort of begin production on this month's journal, so we might end up taking a break in a couple of weeks' time from, from podcasts just to make sure it's just make sure the quality is good. Uh, but before we go anyway, we've got to get the, the administration out of the way. You can get involved with the podcast in a variety of ways. You can tweet us using the hashtag TalkingSmith about film. You can email us using podcasts at leejacksmith.com. If you're listening on the Anchor podcast platform, you can send us a voice message. There is a little link to do that in the description, so have have a look. And if you're on the community Discord server, you can message the uh, the podcast channel. You can go into the voice chat and, hell, sometimes your correspondents can actually form part of the big discussion or stuff like that. So, we've got to address that many black review. A lot's come to light about that film in the last couple of days. So... Uh, it was a big critical piece in the Hollywood Reporter on Monday, sort of ripping apart the production issues, the, the frantic rewrites during production, the fact that F. Gary Gray wanted out of that film mid-production. I don't blame him. Uh, and the fact that the bit of the film that I enjoyed the most, the bit that got the worth the watch rating, the Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson characters, well, they had their dialogue written for them by their own writers. In hindsight, and I kind of joked about this during review, I wish we'd reviewed it to this music. Because it really would have been the film that got the full rant treatment. I can honestly say from the top of my heart, knowing what we know about the film now, This film isn't just horrific. This film isn't just the sort of film that wouldn't turn a profit at the box office. But this film, just to sting Sony that little bit more, you should just wait for the DVD. But mercifully, we do have a good film to talk about this week. Toy Story 4 is out this weekend. We are going to be reviewing it. We've got the ratings literally stapled to the wall now, so I don't forget what the standards are like. We will be reviewing Toy Story 4. We'll be giving you all the box office information. We'll be giving you the film news rundown. We'll go have all of our usual features, and we're also going to tell you what this month's journal is going to be about. It's a busy show this week, so let's get straight on with it. 
So, of course, it is almost summer holidays for the kids here in the UK. And, of course, that means only one thing. An onslaught of animated films are about to hit cinemas. We'll be reviewing... Some of them, not all of them. Yeah, I've got a bit busy, busy person nowadays. Got to get ready for graduation in a few in a few weeks' time. But we're going to review the big ones and one of the crap films. Uh, you'll hear more about that on Birthday Marathon Weekend. And of course, that naturally means we've got to talk about Toy Story Four. We have to. This is a film that, quite frankly, all of us were nervous about. They had a perfect ending with, with that original trilogy of films. So, are Disney Pixar able to sort of continue that form, or or is it another shameless cash-in to make Bob Iger and his team happy? Let's find out. This is the trailer for Toy Story 4. Woody? Why am I alive? <gasps> you are a toy. You belong to Bonnie. These are your friends. Oh, Woody, I have a question. Um, Well, actually, not just one. I have all the questions. Who wants to go on a road trip? Me! Vacation! You need help with that. No, no, I got it. I know, this is a little strange, but we all have to make sure nothing Woody! happens to Forky. Woody! Uh, something happened to him. Buzz, we gotta get Forky. Roger that. The panic is attacking me! Change of plans. Jesse, Ham, Buzz, Bo, Rex, Potato Head. Hey, watch it, buddy. Where do we go? Let's go save a spork. Do I need to be worried? Well, my guys are veterans. They'll hang in there. On my way, Woody! I know the perfect toy to help. Duke Kaboom, Canada's greatest stuntman. Oh, yeah. Huh? Yes. He's posing. Yeah. Duke, we need Hold to... Hold on. One more. Oh, yeah. save me. I've known that guy my whole life. Two days. Is that how we look on the inside? There's so much fluff. We have to find him, Mom. Bonnie needs Forky. Aw, Sheriff Woody always coming to the rescue. That's gonna be quite a jump for you and Duke. For me? Let's kaboom. That's where Forky is being kept. How do we get that key? What about the old plush rush? There you go. Oh. Where did you two come from? Well, we're not doing that. This is a film that has got some of the highest reputation, highest expectations you can expect. Because, let's be real, that original trilogy, Toy Story 1, Toy Story 2, Toy Story 3, everyone has seen them, everyone knows how good they are, and that was the perfect ending. Why they ended Toy Story 3 felt like they couldn't milk the content care for any, for any more box office revenue, but lo and behold, Disney Pixar have done it. They have they put out a sequel. 
At least I did it after Finding Nemo got a sequel, which is pretty pretty good. To give you a basic flavour of what this film is like, Woody has always been confident about his place in the world and as far as he's taking care of whoever is sort of hosting him, whether that's Andy or, or Bonnie, who we got introduced to in Toy Story 3. But when Bonnie adds a reluctant new toy called Forky to her room, a road trip adventure alongside old and new friends will show Woody exactly how big the world can be for a toy. And we we do have a clip. This is uh, Disney have been sort of very tactical about the sort of clips that they want to issue for this film. Uh, so we're just going to be cliche and we're going to sort of play a clip uh, where Forky gets introduced. Here's a clip. Hi, toys. Hi, toys. <laughs> Oh, he did go to kindergarten. I knew it. No, no, you're no, trying guys, to get listen, Bonnie in trouble. No, of course not. You could have been confiscated. What does that mean? Taken away. <gasps> no! Or worse, you could have been lost. No, 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 guys, listen. Bonnie had a great day in class, and we're going on a road trip. Road trip? Vacation! <laughs> but then something really weird happened. Bonnie made a friend in class. What a oh, kid. she's already making she friends. friends. No, no, she literally made a new friend. Hey. It's okay. Come on out. That's it. Uh, Come on. There you go. Uh, Come on. Let's get you out of there. Uh, you got this. Uh, good. Good. Everyone, I want you to meet Forky. Yally, Bob oh, look, look how long his arms are. Now, that clip was from quite early on in the film. Obviously, meeting Forky is a big moment. Uh, the big question for a lot of people is whether this film is actually worthy of being a good good sequel because the first three films as we've talked about many 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 times before are just outstanding pieces of filmmaking and obviously this is pixar's last big sequel before they move over to making original properties next year so there's a lot of expectation in terms of getting this film right and i'm very glad to report that while it's not the strongest of of the set it's still pretty damn good regardless. Uh, it's a debut director taking the helm on this one, Josh Cooley, who's worked with Pixar for, for, for a few years, sort of like worked his way up the ranks. And he's able to create one hour and 44 minutes of just pure joy that has enough emotion, enough humour, enough plot development that makes that script that Andrew Stanton and Stephanie Folsom really come alive on screen. It's a, it's a film that doesn't do things by half. It's a film that has its moments. It's a film that's it's, it's, it, good is difficult to describe it. It is the emotion on this thing is unlike anything else. But this script has enough humour for, for kids and adults, young and old. It has the emotional weight of p carrying that ending. Sure, it addresses some, some characters who we didn't see in Toy Story 3. We get to see how, how roughly, because we're trying our best to keep this as spoiler-free as we can. We see a lot more of Bo in this film. We see a lot more of, of Bo, and sure, yes, the cliché Disney female empowerment is there, but it's done in a way that's not... Well, it's obvious to people who pay attention to that sort of thing, but for the kids going in, this is the best way they could have integrated it. It's animated really well, too. It just shows how Pixar's evolved over the years. I mean, when they began using Marionette in 1995, now they're using Presto system, yeah. Hot, fresh science fact for you all. Um, 
it does really show how they've been able to evolve the technology using their own in-house kit. I mean, it's a lot better animated than The Good Dinosaur, which was their highest quality of animation in my eyes. But it is the best-looking Toy Story film of, of the set. And I want them to... A lot of people said they should reanimate the, the, the previous films using this new kit. I think they should. Sure, it'll make them a lot more box office revenue, but if that's what Disney wants, that's what Disney will get. Of course, it wouldn't be Toy Story without Randy Newman providing the music. He kills it once again. Obviously, we get to hear you got a friend in me, playing out of a cinema screen for another time, so you can't really argue with that. The voice cast. They're brilliant. Returning from the original films. Oh, and I'm going to list them off one by one. Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, Annie Potts, Joan Cusack, John Ratzenberger, Wallace Shawn, Blake Clark, and for one final time through the... The art of archived recordings, Don Rickles, who passed away shortly after rewrites of the script began before they be, uh, got the cast in to record. All of the new voices, all of your favourite characters are there. All of your favourite characters are there. But this film really is... The two the two outstanding performances in the film are Tom Hanks and Tim Allen. Seeing them back as Woody and Buzz after all of these years, this is their film. It feels definitively... Again, without spoiling too much, it definitively feels like the end of their story. We've seen these two over the last 20 years sort of make overarching connections to, to, to audiences. Something which you just don't get often in a film. That's something that a lot of animated films seem to perfect. These connections with their audiences, not just as they've seen the film, but long after they, they've gone to the cinema and watched it. I mean, I remember watching the first Toy Story when I was younger, and then Toy Story 2 came out, I was so excited for it. And then Toy Story 3 was emotionally brokers. I mean, long story short, I was not emotionally ready for this film, especially the way it ends. Annie Potts is a bow people, so has, like, a very key role in this film. But one, one piece of advice before I go into the new characters, don't let the trailers fool you. This is a very different film to what the trailers are sort of hinted at. I can understand, now that I've seen the film, I can understand why, because Disney want, wanted to keep as much of this film as secret as they could, and that's why we're not going to spoil much of it. But one thing we can spoil are the new characters. Keanu Reeves is incredible <laughs> as Canadian stuntman Duke Kaboom. There's so many O Canada jokes. He He's unstoppable right now. He is unstoppable right now. I can understand why he is the most loved person in the world at the minute. Coming off of E3, coming off of John Wick, coming out of appearing in Cyberpunk 2077, a big video game coming out next year. That man is popping up everywhere and absolutely killing it. You also have Inga Cass, Christina Hendricks, as this doll called Gabby Gabby. She's like the antagonist of the piece in a way. They do some very unconventional things with the character and that also provides the big sort of scary scenes that the BBFC advise because sure some of her henchmen look a little bit weird and scary but that kind of evokes memories of Toy Story 1 where they make a literal joke about hookers yes really I've seen many videos on the topic uh, it's about, about innuendo and kids it's one of my favourite things to look at but Hendrix sort of plays the, the villain of the piece uh, uh, a 1950s doll who schemes to try and get what she wants uh, but for me the highlights of the film included Tony Hale 
has got a new character, Forky, who has some of the lines of the film. <laughs> I'm trash. You're not. I'm not a toy. I am trash. I think that was released in uh, some of the clips that have been uh, floating around on social media. But for the, the two standouts for me are Key and Peel. Yep. Keegan Michael Key and Jordan Peel are just fantastic as Ducky and Bunny. The two characters who we got int- introduced to not long after the first teaser trailer came out. These guys are just fantastic. And what what I can say is stay back right to the end of the credits. Do not leave until the Pixar logo has faded out because the story is, as 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 Josh Cooley has said, the story does not end the minute the lights come up. Stay back to the end of the credits because there are some funny little scenes that I think a lot of kids will enjoy. It's one of the more surreal Toy Story films, but given... The fact that they've milked this franchise for all the money that it can make. They've milked this franchise for all the stories it can tell. I can't see him making Toy Story 5 happen. I want them to transition more towards TV series. They're good at doing that. Forky's got his own series on Disney Plus when it launches later on in the year. So to summarise, Toy Story 4 brings the curtain down on some stories, opens up possibilities for new characters, and of course provides a big screen experience that audiences both young and old can enjoy. For your parents... This is a super safe use certificate film that the whole family can go into and relax with. And something that doesn't really happen nowadays. A lot of these films generally go for the PG so they can get away with a little bit more edgy humour. This is a nice and safe use certificate. A nice and safe 1 hour 44 minutes. When you add your industry standard 20 minutes of adverts and trailers, that brings it to 2 hours. So that is really good. As for the franchise, it's not the strongest film of the set but it is still an outstanding film regardless. So what rating are we going to give this thing? Now, just to be sure, what I'm doing now is I'm pulling up the rating system, just so we don't have another repeat of what happened with Men in Black. There are flaws with this film. There are flaws with this film in the way it's been written. It's not, not like I say, it's not the strongest cassette, so it's not a masterpiece. Do I go for, do I go for worth, should, or go out and see it now? I think because it's Toy Story and because the demand for this film is pretty big, I'm going to have to say you should go out and see this film now because, let's be real, it's going to be the only film that plays in cinemas for a few weeks until Spider-Man comes in. But Disney are set to dominate the box office this summer. I mean, we've got this, we've got got Spider-Man in association with Sony, we've got Lion King in a couple of weeks. This is going to be the summer for Disney and all of their associated subsidiaries. So this is a go out and, and see it now film. I, 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 can, I can definitely say that much. And with that, that's the review done. Quick commercial break, on to the film news rundown. Well, it is, well, basically like time of show again, where we take all the film news, compress it down to around 2 minutes and 59 seconds. Very short, very concise. It's a feature that we pioneered on the radio show. It is, of course, the film, the big film news rundown. A lot has gone down this week. So, let's, let's do it. The main news is that Avengers Endgame is going to be reissued in a couple of days' time with a little bit of extra footage at the end of the credits. Now, we don't know what this means yet. We we understand that there's going to be a deleted scene, a tribute, some sort of extra gubbins. It'll be a post credit scene of some sort, probably setting the scene for Spider-Man Far From Home when that comes out in a few days' time. 
This is a blatant way for Marvel to take that Avatar crown. They're like $45 million away from sort of hitting that elusive target. So this is blatant shilling. This is flogging a dead horse, pretty much. In other news, there is an adaptation of big British musical Everybody's Talking About Jamie. That is go that has just gone into production. I only know about this because Film 4 have put many into it. And on top of that, my local V show the actual stage production uh, as part of their big screen entertainment strand, or as we call it, event cinema. What do I call it? Why do I do this is not a cinema? Uh, but there is a big, big adaptation of the works in fantastic cast too. I can't remember off the top of my head. But it's looking like it could be one of the big British feel-good films of 2020 when it eventually comes out. Uh, Pixar have announced an original film. Shock horror. They've announced a new film called Soul. It is coming out in it. Uh, it will be coming out on June 19th, 2020, from what I understand. Pete Doctor will be directing it. He's the man who brought us Inside Out, and he's the new head of Pixar now, so it's a very good sort of see Pixar do non-sequel films, sort of move on from the properties that sort of made them world known. But from one Pixar property to another, Disney Plus have already announced that there's going to be a TV series about Forky, the new character who we've just met in Toy Story 4. That's my thoughts exactly, just why? But in prequel news, Matthew Vaughan has announced The Kingsman, a prequel to the first two Kingsman films that will be set in the late 1900s. It's got Charles Dance in it, what's not to like? But with it being a prequel film, there is a big question. Who is going to play the Merlin character, if there is a Merlin, that is? Because if your name's Mark Strong... Let's be real, if your name's not Mark Strong, you simply can't be Merlin. It's gotta be someone who can pull off a convincing Scottish accent. And on top of that, it's gotta be someone who's quite good at asking cinema audiences to turn off their phones. Yes, it's the same guy who does that big, no sudden ringtones, no glaring screens message. So yes, that's the important bits of film news that sort of came out between now, between podcasts, last podcast going out and Thursday when I'm recording this, because uh, such is the life, busy YouTube time travel. I'm, I'm working on a journal, that's why it's all over the shop. And that handily brings us into this week's big discussion. Now, the joke has been... That for these films like Toy Story 4, I, I deliberately go in and see them super early on the first morning that they're out, I, did, I infamously did Finding Dory at five past nine on the day it came out and believe me, I am never doing that again but with all that being said there is a demand there for these animated films, for, especially within the, the older demographic because people are like oh, so you don't want to have your showings interrupted by kids yapping on for the duration of the film and I can understand why I really can understand why people do this but there are a variety of pros and cons the pros is you basically get the screen to yourself which is good you get to see a cinema pretty dead I think mean, it was only like 20 in for, for, for The Incredibles when that opened there was only like 4 of us in for that first Finding Dory show but you also get to see cinema staff 
at the ungodly hours that they have to open. I mean, I know my local view, uh, when Toy Story 4 opened, they're going to be open at 9.30. And they always open 15 minutes before the first film. That is unethical for cinema staff, getting them in that early when you know schools are still in. That's just wrong. That's just wrong on many levels. But if it gets people in, it gets people in. But by having that place to yourself, you get to see the film as it was intended. By seeing it later on in the afternoon, you run the risk of having people treating themselves after school. I mean, I know a lot of parents are going to be taking their kids to watch Toy Story 4 this weekend, especially. I know uh, Saturday and Sunday are going to be quite big in terms of audience throughput. There is a lot banking on this film in terms of concession sales. So if, if you are asked to sort of upgrade your popcorn for a regular to a large, do it because they'll get paid extra. The, the cons of sort of doing an early morning release, you're knackered. You're really knackered. You need not just one cup of Earl Grey, you need two, you need three, you need potentially four just to get yourself through the film. You also run the risk of falling asleep mid-advert reel. That's never happened to me because I always make sure I'm in a screen that plays the adverts loud um, but w the way I see it I want to see a film with the best possible audience and this sort of segues into sort of like an escape guide for sort of kids who are going to be going into their first cinema experience with a film like this number one you shut up when the lights go down number two popcorn nah just have a good meal before you eat. Have, have a good meal before you go in and watch the film. Because that means you won't be as excitable. Number three. Add 12 minutes to the advertised showtime. That way you walk in during the trailers. And it also means you're not waiting around as long. And number four. Just be respectful to cinema staff. I know a lot of people who work in this industry. And I've... I've heard some horror stories during the, the opening weekend of these films, and some of the, I, I, I can't really share many of these horror stories because we haven't marked this podcast as explicit, mercifully. Uh, but we, we have seen some interesting sights on the screens. Oh, yeah, number five, if the night vision cameras are, are in, a, in a screen, just be aware of them. Just be aware they can see your every move. While while the film is is on the screen, because I, I don't I don't know what's the best way to describe this without talking about the infamous Sicario. We might tell the Sicario story next week. We might tell the Sicario story next week because that, that <laughs> oh no, and, and the people who are, who were on shift when the Sicario stuff went down, literally went down. Um, I, 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 I might get Aaron on to talk about it. I might get Aaron on to talk about it because that was <laughs> that was the highlight of last year's birthday marathon. But yeah, the, the long and short of it: if you are taking your kids to watch Toy Story Four this weekend, just make sure that they're aware of how cinema etiquette uh, sort of works. In fact, Mark Strong sort of describes it better than I can. It's time to enjoy the big screen experience with no distractions, no sudden ringtones, no glaring screens. No talking. And yes, that is actually the message that plays out in views up and down the country. It's on YouTube somewhere. That's how I got hold of it. Uh, but yeah, that is 
Uh, we're like halfway through talking to Smith Bad Film Podcast this week, which is awesome. Uh, we're not going to be going into the archive this week, as far as I know, because there's not really much in terms of home video that we want to sort of go back into. Uh, but what we are going to do is we're going to have a quick fake commercial break, uh, and then we'll be back with the box office. Uh, maybe a couple of other things. If I get if I get round to watching Murder Mystery uh, at some point, that, that, that'd be a nice little review to close podcast out on. We'll be back after this shameless plug for our YouTube series. So as ever, it is that time once again. It is that time of week where we get all the box office figures through from the awesome guys at Comscore. Let's uh, get let's. Not really been much change this week. There is sort of some hot and fresh science facts related to whatever film is this week's UK and Ireland box office number one. But in terms of the films on offer outside of the top ten, Avengers is at eleventh place now. It's uh, it's it's hanging around okay, hanging about okay halfway through its run. So your Avengers update is up to £87 million, so it's not really going to make the £100 million that we kind of predicted it would be. But as for the rest of the top ten, well, let's do this properly. Hit the music. At ten this week is Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Six weeks into its run now, it is made £201,000 this week bring it up to a nice around 13.3 million pounds. At nine is a brand new entry. As if Capaldia is back with another documentary, this time on Diego Maradona. Considering it's not playing at many sites, it did 284 grand this week, which is very good, including a couple of live broadcasts that happened on Thursday, I believe. Not a bad opening for a documentary at all. However, in the event stakes, Secret Cinema are hanging around very well. Their little take on Casino Royale is in eighth place. Did another three, well, just under 300 grand this week. They're up to well, exactly 888,000 pounds in the sort of two weeks that they've been open now. Uh, at seven is John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum. He's hanging around, another 351 grand made, taking him up a nice, nice, nice nine and a half million. At six is Godzilla King of the Monsters. Uh, still not a chance to see it yet. Still another 500 grand, taking it to 6.4 million. At five is X-Men Dark Phoenix. Two weeks in, another million banked. Fox aren't happy with how it's doing. At four is Secret Life of Pets 2. Four weeks in, another one and a half million made. Universal happy. At three is Rocketman. Another 1.6 million made. And at two is a brand new entry. And it's running Black International. It was lucky to make 2.8 million. And that of course means that there is no change at the top. No film has been the number one for this amount of time in the UK this year. Aladdin is still your UK box office number one. Another £2.8 million bank, bringing it to £30.4 million over its lifetime. The real question now for Disney is whether the film can continue its form. This weekend, knowing full well that Toy Story 4 is out, and the majority of audiences now are going to be going out and watching that. And from the box office to something a little bit closer to home, 
Now, we're not going into the archive this week for, uh, from our Rip Ticket Banker reviews because there's not, there's not really that much of relevance. But what we are going to do, and this is something that this series is very, very handy for, a lot of people keep asking me, what's the next journal going to be about, Jack? Well, this this is very exciting, because I know a lot of you guys enjoyed the, the piece that we did on the Palace Cinema in Longridge last month. So, inspired by the dissertation I could just see sitting over me on the journal set, uh, we're going to profile four more cinemas, because why not? Uh, this has all like been based around a year of research I did. This is the whole this is the whole reason why Born Independent is a thing. Uh, and they, to think it the spark for Born Independent began a year ago on Tuesday, thanks to a certain departure at a uh, at a major chain cinema in Preston. He knows who he is. He's probably listening to this as well. Uh, but the. These independent cinemas are becoming like a vital part for for audience engagement because they're providing competition for the multiplex. We're going to be uh, sort of writing, recording it uh, while I'm away from reviewing films uh, to gear up for the marathon. Uh, but these independent cinemas are more important than ever, knowing that the, the multiplexes are embroiled in dispute after dispute after dispute after dispute. You just got to look at what happened with View and Mary Queen of Scots. You just have to look at what happened with Odin back in the day with Alice in Wonderland, not agreeing to terms of showing it and the whole debate over the 16-week window. There is a lot you can really go into with these independent cinemas and how I managed to write 8,000 words on it and get it first. Uh, that's that's quite quite a big thing. This month's journal, is, it's it's one that I've been wanting to make for a very long time. So these independent cinemas that I've, I've written about for the last year they're serving in an important role because these the multiplex are, are sort of they're not getting the same sort of caliber of films that audiences want to see. Sure, you've got wall to wall Aladdin taking over multiplex screens at the minute, and whatever the rule of thumb is, whatever's in the box office top five that you heard earlier, uh, is what multiplex cinemas will play. I mean, that's why a lot of places have got rid of Avengers now because uh, I mean. There are, there are all sorts of case studies. We've got some of these independent sites have got sofas. Some of them have got proper bar offerings. One of them's got a full pizzeria and restaurant as part of their offer. These sites sort of tailor themselves to a niche audience, and that is something that the multiplex lot need to sort of double down on. I know Odin have got their Lux offering, and I know they've just opened up their Leicester Cinema and, and Warrington. Uh, they've just had the Lux offer put in. I know Viewer putting their Edit Bar offering in at some sites. Uh, Cineworld are going all in on gimmicks. IMAX, 4DX, Super Screen. Pointless. Uh, but these independent sites are proper cinema at its finest. I mean, just just look at our slogan this year. Born independent. That tells you everything. But this month's journal is going to be all about those independent cinemas. And I, like I said, I am looking forward to making this thing because these are cinemas that deserve the spotlight. We we talk about the multiplexes too much. I think it's it's time to let time to get the smaller places shine a little bit more. And with that, that is pretty much it for this week's Talking Smith Better Film podcast. Uh, we've got a lot of ground covered this week. Now, quick little heads up. Now, I'm technically on journal holiday for the time being. So if a podcast goes out next week, uh, that'll be very lucky. But next Sunday, 
June 30th, Journal 12, Keeping the Indie Flame Alight, is going to be going out. Uh, it's kind of like our one-year one, one year anniversary, but not, not one-year anniversary, if, if you get what I mean. Also, a little bit of an announcement. Uh, keep your eyes peeled on the YouTube channel on July 8th, which is the day I'll be doing Birthday Marathon. If you've seen episode 9 of the journal, you'll know that we thought we'd lost the last 15 minutes of footage from that particular shoot. Well, we've got that footage back. So expect to see a director's cut of episode 9 go out on July 8th. It's a little sort of like birthday celebration thing. Uh, But... The likelihood of a podcast going out next week is relatively slim, so just keep your eyes peeled on my social media for that. Twitter.com forward slash Lee Jack Smith. Search for LeeJackSmith.com on Facebook. Of course, the reviews will continue on the blog. Uh, We're in in a midst of birthday marathon planning mode, so we might might be back on July 5th. We might not be back on July 5th. We don't know. We we shall see. Uh, But for now... My name's been Jack Smith. You've heard me talk Smith about film for just too long now. And until the journal goes out next week, we'll see you at the movies. to get involved with talking smith about film you can do so in the following ways emailing us podcast at leejacksmith.com by tweeting us using the hashtag talking smith about film and you can comment on the facebook page or on any of the journals that have gone out on youtube plus if you're a member of the leejacksmith.com community discord server you can submit messages for the journal you can potentially come on the podcast and you can do a variety of other things For information on all of that and more, head to leejacksmith.com forward slash discord. Everything you need is right there on the blog. 